Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, your premier home for deep examinations into the history of limbo. I'm Nico and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey everybody, it's Nathan and you can find me on Twitter at DazzlerAOA where I'm promoting my new hit single, Stepping Disc to Your Heart. <laughs> hey everybody, I'm Jake and you can find me on Twitter at Sentinel. that's O-H Sentinel. while it's still there. I'm Kyle. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XNateXGrayX. And we hope you survive this experience, because if you don't, you could wind up in limbo. Which could be cool or it could be bad. It kind of depends on the day, who's ruling it, what they're getting up to. Just try and survive. And we do hope you survive the experience because we're looking at an incredible location that has filled Marvel Comics and most notably X-Men Comics for the last 40-something years with mystery, delight, enchantment, and a number of horrors, nightmares, and tragic deaths. We're here to take a look at Limbo, the realm, the idea, the myth, the legend and i want to start off with what was everybody's first limbo experience for me it was definitely x-men 160 i read the book in order starting at 129 because i had access to copies so like oh wow or so i guess it was whatever came before that like whatever appearances limbo had before that but the one that first hit me was 160 so i would love to know how you guys interacted with limbo in your earliest you know limbo do so one of the first books i read when i started reading was x-men was it 303 where iliana die so like most of my reading experience until she came back like i'm just like oh iliana's dead like like my first contemporary dealings with limbo my contemporary dealings with limbo were definitely through amanda sefton through the first appearances of it in excalibur the whole sorcerer trilogy moving on to the x-men black sun stuff and the x-men magic miniseries so like that's like my prime limbo era so basically the read list i put together (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's there's a lot more stories in between there oh like, truly yeah <laughs> that like i dig and i'm like that's why i was like nico we need to cover this one and we'll, we'll cover all that later there's a lot in it. for me my entry point was through magic one of my first 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 comics was a copy of new mutants 24 it's a synkevich drawn issue so it's already like magnetizing and it has this sequence where Ilyana tries to use white magic to banish these like corruptive elements in rain and bobby that like it's a cloak and dagger like crossover situation. The spell work and the thought process and the sort of rebellion of Ilyana really enticed me. And I saw that there was a miniseries about her that was very difficult to get. So as soon as I like could get myself a debit card and go onto eBay, which was I think was a few years later, um, I bought the miniseries and that was my first real like tutorial on Limbo. Um, And it was it was a great start. For me, as I'm trying to think about it, 
I know I had knowledge about Limbo and I have to have read other stories. But the one that really sticks with me is I'm embarrassing myself saying this, but it's new X-Men. It's when it's the Scotty Young drawn when the kids go. I know Mm. I had read other stuff before that, but I don't think it was until then and until the return of Ilyana this time around that I really went back and tried to understand because like Nathan, 303 is one of the most important issues of comics for me and I kind of always understood that there was a larger story to to Ilyana but as a kid I had very little access to those books and as I got older I know I must have really kind of read them in some capacity but it was really just for gathering of background information and knowledge so you know my X-Men lore was up to snuff but that story the Academy X kids going to limbo was really the first time that I started to get invested and when I realized that they were going to be bringing Ilyana back for real as an older person with some degree of agency and with a lot of trauma, that's when I went back and read a lot of this stuff and tried to start to put together the whole picture. And it's funny because I don't think my picture was, I mean, I think we can all have different pictures and they're more or less accurate because whatever, but this reading that we did, this, you know, this batch of stories that we read, reading them together at this time, I think really helped me put together a vision of limbo that I understand a lot better than I did before this. So for me, I think my first experience was Uncanny X-Men 160. It was either that or I went straight into the Magic miniseries. I don't remember. But I know that it was when I had first gotten access to Marvel Unlimited and I was just blasting through comics whenever I had a chance. So it was definitely something that I was not expecting to to read when I got to it. And I think because Limbo is a place and not a character, so many of us kind of come to it as a result of other stories so kind of being like yeah you know i'm limbo just kind of happened to me i get it it's sort of like the leaders of limbo the leaders <laughs> of limbo just kind of happened to us whether it's a belasco story or it's an iliana story it's an amazing amanda story i feel like if you want to get real bendy stretchy with it somebody with the soul sword has like you know sort of like i went online and got a you know land in scotland title kind of claim to limbo so <laughs> like kitty's been in charge you know there's a lot of limbo leadership but there's also like a lot of like uh limboians uh limboers right <laughs> limbolites and we've got characters like madeline nastir sim just an incredible list of limbo and limbo adjacent characters now i have a feeling a lot of people are going to say that their number one is probably iliana and i can't blame them i know that for me i'm always fascinated fascinated by the things that sort of shape the limbo experience maybe don't necessarily define them so like as silly as it sounds i really enjoy what the zardos family as a whole adds but specifically margili for or marjali or i because i don't know how to say some of these names that seem like at one point chris claremont was like are they real names even yeah that's a thing we have found out about a lot of these names so if there is someone who can give me some definitive this is a real name this is how it's said I'm absolutely so excited to add that to my, you know, my vernacular on a character. But I love what she adds because she doesn't exactly play like the aging crone. Like she's a little bit more uh, up in the shit. She's kind of like a magic, a dispel like that, where she's always getting, do not... (laughs) 
can laugh at that reference. I know what I'm saying. I know what I'm saying. I know what I'm saying. All deference, all deference. I uh, I, I love a magic of the spell moment. Um, she's magical. Truly. Yeah, so I agree. You know, I think that one of the great things is uh, Magali Zardos is such a, like, you know, and I'm in the shit kind of, you know, crazy goth duck. So I think that... She really represents something to limbo that I like. I love it. I, I gotta go. Forever. Forever. Inextricably linked now. That's all that I'm going to think of when I think of Madame Zardos. I love it. That's it. Officially. Madame Zardos. Wait, is there like a formal title for like a high a high sorceress? I think it's whatever she wants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> whatever she damn well wants it to be. Yeah. Okay. What Magali wants, Magali is. I think a lot of what you say about the prominent Limbo characters and, and Limbo itself being kind of a character, I think there's a lot to that. And so many of the Limbo adjacent characters are carrying around a lot of like deep pain and deep trauma. And I, I, I've always kind of felt like their connection to Limbo and their experiences in that realm are echoed. Limbo echoes their traumatic experiences and in some ways expresses them and has them re-encountering them and in some ways gives them opportunities to work with them and work through them. As we saw in the like most recent New Mutants art, but most of the time it seems to be a place that just presents a lot of problems you need to like barrel through and just hope you survive because that's kind of, that's, that's sometimes like life with surviving trauma. And I will say this most recent New Mutants run... I really appreciated the work that was done to put Madeline in charge of Limbo to justify why that ought to be the case and to gesture pretty clearly at the fact that Madeline has her own traumas that she needs to work through and that she needs to work with somebody else who has experienced something similar, and that's Ilyana. The two of them need to come to an understanding. Ilyana needs to shirk herself of this burden that she has born for too long and Madeline wants to embrace the darkness inside her in a way that I, I feel like in New Mutant she's really saying like I'm not evil but I recognize I've got some darkness inside me this realm itself isn't by default evil but it is a place of you know that can be quite dark and I think I can work with that and it just you know rather than like I want to have control of it so I can summon the elder gods oops I've been killed now one of the demons has control of it because I don't have control of it now one of the other demons does that's all kind of cool story struggle but really getting into the meat of why someone wants to be in touch with this realm and having it not have to do with like elder gods and power I thought was really cool I am a little bit nervous about dark web but I'm I was excited at the end of new mutants and you know that's sometimes all you need Let's go along with Nico's and be like for me it's all about the nightcrawler family of it all like you know you've got like his mom margali like really one of the like she's a traditional limbo queen right she's she's got an agenda she just wants the power she wants to be in charge of the winding way and you know she's going to use limbo to get to it so like i love that and then i love how jermaine his sister and amanda his girlfriend were very ooh, i want to run limbo and try to be really like altruistic and like try to keep the peace here so like for me that's why like i love 
love that combination as successive rulers of Limbo because you get to see the, the different meanings. And it's so weird when you think about Limbo for so long while Ileana was gone, Limbo became Nightcrawler stories. I mean, like, what is what are so many arcs of the Nightcrawler like story about, you know, Nightcrawler having possession of the Soul Sword? So it's crazy how Limbo became Nightcrawler characters while Ileana was on. I mean, really, the only character that I had experience with up until this week was Ileana. So seeing all of these other rulers was interesting. But as much as I hate to say it, because I like that she's finally been able to break away from it, I find it hard not seeing that connection to her. I get it. When you know something one way, it's hard to see it another. The sim of it all, like... He is the worst shit demon dude, but he is like so consistently his own worst demon dude self that it's there's something sort of like endearing about like how often he is going to try to stab you in the back. And that's one of the big defining things about this read order. It mostly skips Nastir. It spends a lot of time on Sim. And I, to kind of highlight the books we're going to be looking at, we're going to be taking a look at Magic 1 through 4 from 1983, Excalibur 37 to 39 from 1991, the Black Sun and Black Sun Magic miniseries from 2000 and 2001, New X-Men 37 through 41 from 2007, New Mutants War Children from 2019, Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor 1 through 5 from 2022, and another look at New Mutants 25 through 28 from 2022 as well, with a little bit of excitement about the upcoming Dark Web. So I want to start with where it all began for so many people. Of course, Uncanny X-Men 160 is landmark, but in so many ways, it's so detached from what Limbo really becomes as it's fleshed out under the pen of Chris Claremont. And this magic miniseries, Magic, Ileana, and Storm 1 through 4, written by Chris Claremont, with art on the first two issues by John Buscema, art on the third issue by MC2 longtime favorite Ron Friends, and art on the third issue by Sal Buscema, inks by Tom Palmer, with colors by Glennis Ween, who will later show back up as Glennis Oliver after her marriage to Len Ween, and additional colors by Ken Fundowitz, with letters by Tom Orzakowski. This miniseries for so many people is like the defining moment of Limbo. It's the Limbo that tells you how to Limbo. And I don't know, this quickly stops being Limbo for me, but I kind of have a, a bit of a question for you guys. How do you feel about the depiction of Limbo in Magic? Of course, please talk about Ileana Belasco, the incredible Aurora or cat, any of these elements. But like the depiction of Limbo here is just sort of like an evil Dr. Seuss, oh, the places you wouldn't want to go kind of land. It doesn't feel alive like a world. It feels like kind of like a substitute Conan backdrop, like any annual would go to. What did you guys think about this original miniseries? I do feel like in this one, you get a few more references to the idea that Limbo can be something else when it's under the power of a different person like there are some solid references to the fact that like because Belasco is there and because this is a very malleable realm it's a lot darker and Belasco has shaped certain parts of it to his own will when you get to Aurora's sanctuary and you see how different that is and she starts to talk about the fact that you know Limbo can be controlled by people who know how to do it and who know how to wield magic and you see a few 
different places where that's the case. After that, you get a much more clearly defined and stylized idea of the terrible Limbo, but you so rarely ever see, like, Limbo could also be beautiful in some way if somebody wanted to have that. There can also be sanctuaries. There can be wonderful places. It feels less malleable after that and more just like it is always terrible. I actually kind of agree with what you were saying, Nico, about how it feels a bit like a Conan backdrop where like anything can kind of come. And and I wonder if that's because it comes out of that like Kazar story, which is very much its own kind of like contemporary Conan jungle adventure. This whole miniseries is such a like it's a mutant sword and sorcery series. Um, it's not really like a mutant story until you get Ilyana like developing her mutant powers. It's really like a struggle for the land between multiple sorcerers coming into their own and learning the arcane workings of a world. And that to me means that the land is going to be responsive to the wills of these characters. You know, Storm creates her sanctuary, Belasco creates his horrific nightmare realm, and Ilyana is kind of shunted in between until she has the power to start shaping things around her herself. I guess I agree with both Unico and UTK that there is this sort of, it does seem sort of bleak, but then it sort of develops this responsive, reflexive kind of element to it. It picks up something that isn't really picked up again until that Excalibur uh, run where, you know, like when Doctor Doom is in charge of Limbo, all the demons become copies of the superheroes. So that sort of like how the little pockets, like where Storm has her own pocket, you know, like Sim seems to have his own pocket. The place has to be so horrible to try to get around. There's like just stepping disc glittering the floor everywhere. You're like, God damn it. How did I end up in Antarctica? Fuck. But like as it's presented in Magic is a very bare bones thing that has definitely been expanded on and been giving a given a different look and feel so if you start like the read that we did with it then you can really see how it's developed but then when you go back and look at the art and the the place itself the visuals are so stylistically different than what has become it, it definitely shows you how limbo is a realm that can be shaped by who's in charge and influenced by the magic using yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> pretty accurate, you know. It feels like this is more of a setting the basic rules of Limbo type of story than us getting a living realm out of it. I'm with you because I think that we don't get a living realm out of it. We get elements of magic. I think one of the things that really highlights the depiction of Limbo in early Limbo for me from Ileana and Storm, the epic miniseries event is that there's exactly like you said, Nathan, little pockets where the magic works or the magic doesn't work or it's a good place or it's a bad place. We ultimately just kind of get to limbo is hell from seasons of mist and that's just it. Just <laughs> deal with it after a certain point and it just stops being nuanced. It's just hell. And I find that so fascinating because there's so much emphasis on like, if Ileana can just find that one little good thing in herself, limbo will react to it. And that goes away. Mm -mm. You know, that phrase, one bad apple doesn't spoil the bunch. Here's the thing. When an apple goes bad, it starts releasing toxins that cause the other apples around it to go bad faster. It sort of feels like the notion of hope in Limbo is extinguished very early on. And you never really get to see what the prescription is for elevating hope in Limbo. Like, we don't ever really get a moment where somebody gets to show up and be like, I am my 
my force of will and my force of love and hope and joy is so strong that I can shape this realm into something that reflects that. And it's something that other people who pass through here will be able to see. You really don't ever move the dial much from like, I, I think the best you ever get is chaotic neutral, but that chaotic neutral still looks pretty scary. Now, from there, we jump forward in time because one of the things that happens is magic becomes so tied to the idea of limbo as an understanding of what's going on for like a state of mind. Like limbo becomes the representation of Ileana's inner struggle. And, you know, we don't really talk about it enough for what it was, but Ileana's struggle with darkness really was a teenager on the edge, a teenager at risk, a teenager on the verge that needs to be addressed and looked at. And, you know, that's definitely a conversation I can't wait to have. And because it becomes an element of her teenage rage, it stops being a living creature of its own in the Marvel Universe. And so when it resurfaces in Excalibur 37 to 39 in 1991, which falls between, you know, Ileana gets the tightest dream of she's a baby. She gets to start over <laughs> and sad bye bye. It's a uh, it's a really good timing for this. Now, this arc is really, you know, like bad and it's not like terrible but you can so you can do cool things with art you know what i mean like you can make me go mm, i get it we just read some fucking spider-verse shit that i don't even know what to think of anymore <laughs> i am like three-fourths of the way done with the two volumes of deadpool samurai which are like an actual manga from japan that ran in jump and uh, it's translated wow. for american audiences and it's like 500 pages of 14 installments of actual Deadpool manga and it's incredible mm -hmm. like actually incredible and it has my new favorite spider character like of all time Sakura spider and I'm not gonna back down on this and like you know, if anything me... you've kind of leveled up the intensity in the last 24 hours <laughs> a, a little bit yeah and so like give me things that challenge what I think of art but also I don't know if you guys remember, there was a thing called the color forms when we were a kid. And I had this one color form set from FAO Schwartz, not like name dropping, just like that's where my aunt got it from. And so, but because it was like from FAO Schwartz, it wasn't normal things like a normal color forms would have. It was just like oddly colored shapes. <laughs> I do believe Excalibur 37 to 39 by Scott Lobdell, Mark Badger, Glennis Oliver, nay, Glennis Ween, Brad Vacanta, and letters by Chris Eliopolis and no shit spike I do believe that these <laughs> that's it letterer spike um I do believe that these three issues are some of the most unfortunate challenging and honestly did not stand the test of time comics I've oh my God, ever no, yeah. looked at I ever. am the guy who is a sucker for this era of weird art those um king of pain annuals with oh Porteus and piecemeal that also have a very similar style mm -hmm. I'm the guy that they made these for and I nobody is saying anything 
anything wrong. I clearly am the one with some semi-trash taste, but <laughs> I think I've maybe read this once and just completely glossed over it, but this was not something I had spent a lot of time with. And so I settled into these in like a, my old childhood friend type of way. <laughs> and if nothing else, I really appreciated the almost slapstick comedy of the beginning. I mean, really slapstick comedy at the beginning with the plates dropping, but then mm-hmm. just like the idea that they all think that Megan got pranked with the call from Dr. Doom and then that it's Dr. Doom. <laughs> and so you me- were the cute one of your friends growing up because if your friends were this ugly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I do not think you are wrong about the art, but I do appreciate that it combines with that like level of dialogue in a way that really works in the first 15 pages. And then I think increasingly it's beyond diminishing returns into like it just gets kind of madness and inscrutable and not in any way attractive by issue two. And it just kind of keeps descending from there. You know, when you're a kid and especially like uh, I'm a little bit older, so when you were a kid when i was a kid like when you got an issue sometimes you just had that issue and trade there weren't as many trades you didn't have mu back then so like sometimes you just had that one issue so that was the only one you had of that arc so like for some reason i had the second issue of the arc and that made me go like i really don't want to pick up the rest of the arc it was like right before my prime excalibur era so like just seeing the juxtaposition between that and like issue like 42 i'm like what what like this is crazy there were some really cool things that did story wise like the jokes at the beginning were good but I did love the idea like this is the first time I saw it mentioned that Kate thought whoever had the soul sword was the sorcerer supreme of limbo because there's the line where she's like wait I'm not the sorcerer supreme of limbo anymore and I'm like wait <laughs> Kate you don't have any magical abilities what the <laughs> listen to this white person coming in and assuming they're in charge <laughs> It's like, uh, um, but I do love, I love her high pony she has when she's got the uh, soul sword arm. Now that's an Ariana Grande pony. A that little is. brunette ambition. Hey, TK, I, I really appreciate the connection you made to the Kings of Pain arc. I too really enjoy that, though more for the nostalgia factor because the art is like this, pretty difficult to parse. Mm-hmm. It actually reminds me of like the first two seasons of South Park a little bit, where everything kind of looks like a paper cutout. Once you leave Earth in the first kind of, first and, and get into Limbo, it just kind of loses most form and cohesion from there and like you can see the the bodies and the characters moving through space but what background and space around them is happening it's very hard to tell a lot of the time through this story and then the avengers get involved i guess no the west coast avengers get involved which the best coast i i, I just i just i'm I, yes the b-list why? avengers yes <laughs> it's not even just about b-list avengers it's just like what purpose do these guys have in limbo iron man helped the lady of the lake so she's like <laughs> i'm gonna go to tony stark for help I very much appreciated how willing this book was to be like, here are eight different editor's notes. Everything we have thought of here makes sense if you can just track down the 25 issues that will inform you. I say go for it. I think they should all be like that. (laughs) So the interesting thing is that when I was originally reading Excalibur, Marvel Unlimited's collection ended right before this arc started. Probably for a reason. (laughs) Probably for a reason. Yeah, it took me multiple days to get through these issues. I really struggled with it. Honestly, I had a really hard time dealing with 
with the art, the once they got into limbo, it everything just kind of turned into blobs that va- vaguely represented characters. It was a struggle, and then having the West Coast Avengers added into the mix was weird as well. I found myself intrigued by the Prometheum being the heart of Limbo. Pretty cool. So that leads me to the four big takeaways I had from this arc, and I can't believe there were four. Number one, this is finally a scene where Nightcrawler and Scarlet Witch had a little alone time where they could make <laughs> Nocturne, a little, a little sweet, yeah. sweet Nocturne music. This right? is definitely where the timeline splits for that, yes. Uh, yeah. thousand percent. Number two, Prometheum, awesome. Number three, I would have much rather Belasco go gone up to doom and been like hey dr doom i have reason to fuck with excalibur do you think what we could do is i could pay you in hellfire or something and we could cast a spell so everyone thinks that they owe me a favor that they owe you and doom takes a look into the great scrying pool and goes if i don't do this the budget doom story that is going to come out of this just does not work for me and (laughs) switched places instead because budget doom should always be replaced and number four, I'm sorry, did like like Muppets 4D, the whole universe gets swallowed into a portal style? Limbo gets swallowed up at the end of this arc and then it's just back? Yeah. Okay, I have so many questions about the end of this because, wait, the Soul Sword is just sitting there in limbo. Like, uh, but then how does Kate get it back? Like, what the fuck goes on? Like, I don't know. Like, because like, she can we can no prize this one? <laughs> I'm very yeah. I, I'm very curious about what people's head canon is about this because it doesn't seem like there's there's a connection. I want to see like a map, a, a timeline map of where the Soul Sword is at all times from its inception to now because I think there are some points where it gets lost. But now I really want to create that tool it's used again like later in excalibur where like there's a whole trilogy about the soul sword where it starts in 83 so it's like a good like 40 issues later kate has it again somehow magically nobody explains how i have really nothing to add to this particular thing so i'm gonna slightly pave over it because i do also want to talk about <laughs> prometheum yeah, um, oh, yeah. i mean oh. you know i again one of those things definitely has been in my like lore my like background lore but i haven't really really been thinking about it until we pulled this together and the first thing of course that i and this actually happened a little bit earlier this happened when i started reading mighty thor and jane foster but prometheum and mysterium feel like they could be two really important sort of rival metals (laughs) rival materials that calm down brandon sanderson (laughs) <laughs> I just I see an interesting parallel between these two and what various characters throughout the Marvel Universe might be interested in using them for and how they might kind of go towards a broader picture of like a resource war of some kind. I was very excited about the idea that there's like something else out there that we could play around with and that it has such a broad, long history behind it, but without a lot of definitive statements being made so we have a lot of room to kind of play around it's uh it's it's just one of those really cool story things that just makes me think like anybody could pick up on this and start a whole chain of events that could lead to some really cool stories oh yeah i mean i couldn't agree more i i like we're reading through this reading list i think i'd ever really encountered prometheum in my like limbo reading and so seeing it in the excalibur arc and then seeing it in jane foster and the mighty thor i really like the thread that ran through it and i do think you're right there's so much storytelling potential there you know 
we've got several soul weapons out in the world. What are they made of? Could they be made of? Like, I've always wondered, what is the soul sword made of? What is Pixie's soul dagger made of? What's the substance of it? This is an opportunity to to really go into esoteric resourcing in the Marvel Universe. What what would it mean to make an alloy of Prometheum and Mysterium? I mean, we know that, that you can merge Prometheum with, I guess, as Guardian Metal? The storytelling potential there is vast, and to me, it's this thing that's that's just coming on my radar. But another one of those gems of like, oh, this world is so big. There's so many little things that are happening and be you know picked up and brought to the fore and made super important. And yeah, then there's all of this groundwork already done by people in the past, even if some of it happens in a story that's somewhat difficult. Parse. Along with that, I did love that there was more of a clarification of limbo as a realm uh, that wasn't really a limbo because like you know time passes there so i i like the idea of calling it other place even though that like seems to really have been like dropped after that but like i I did like them trying to clarify it and take it away from being called magic limbo but it just kind of yeah it never went anywhere i thought that was funny too because doom seemed really huffy about it he was like this isn't limbo there are no tortured spirits hanging out here there's time here it just goes in loop-de-loops this isn't limbo. Like that was, I, re- <laughs> I, I, I fixated on that speech for a minute. Cause I was like, he's really upset about this. He does not like the naming scheme here. <laughs> and I love how, and I love how often he's like, Oh, this I bad Intel, not my fault. An idiot Lieutenant did it. And you know what? It's not that I picked a bad Lieutenant. No, this one snuck in. No, yeah. They, they, I didn't, this has nothing to do with me. This is someone else's fault entirely. And, uh, this isn't this limbo. limbo. I, and now I want my money back. I, I would like to speak to your hell manager, please. Please. And like he's very that guy. He's ugh. Dr. Dr. But Karen Doom. Yeah, okay. Dr. Karen Doom. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and can we talk about the Kate of it all? Like, how the fuck did Kitty make that mistake? Like, like she knows better than that. Well, speaking of things that don't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> look, oh, no. Guys, there's things about 2000s in comics oh, God. that are hmm. great. And there are things about the 2000s in comics that are like, and it's come up a few times. Sometimes it's like, wow, that's a really cool idea. That belongs in a wizard millennium village. Millennium village. I got to go. <laughs> millennial village. I said village again. Millennial visions special. <laughs> That belongs on like a a really cool pinup in an art book. That would make a great variant cover. And then sometimes the X office was just like, yes, produce that whole book, line of books, nine books, nine big, expensive, top tier books. Oh, yeah. Wait, what'd you say? Does it need to all work together? No. And so that's where we got Black Sun. Oh, Black Sun. Where can you even find that anymore? Uh, On Marvel Unlimited. Unlimited. And and the x-men revolution omnibus yes and uh that i read the hold on i read the magic in the new mutants omnibus or in my uncanny omnibus i had the choice i read the excalibur in the excalibur omnibus i read black (laughs) sun in the revolution omnibus uh i had to dig out my copies of magic which was insane 
But so Black Sun is written by Chris Claremont all the way through, but issue two, Storm, is scripted by Len Wein. Issue three, Banshee Sunfire, is scripted by Roy Thomas. Issue, stop laughing. Issue four, <laughs> Colossus Nightcrawler, is scripted by, you know, Show Goddess Wheezy, thousand percent. And then issue five, Wolverine Thunderbird, Just Claremont again. The art is actually incredible, uh, oftentimes. Yeah. Other times, a little bit dated, but always still really beautiful and pristine. X-Men is by Thomas Delanick, Sean Parsons, Tom Smith, and Pop Visuals. Storm is by Thomas Delanick, Mark McKenna, Tom Smith, and Pop Visuals. Banshee Sunfire is by Carl Weller, Tom Smith, Tom Smith and Pop Visuals. I'm like, Tom, I'm like, Tom Smith and Palm Visuals. Um, Colossus Nightcrawler is by Alethea Martinez, John Stancy, Tom Smith, and Pop Visuals. While Wolverine Thunderbird is by Pablo Ramondi, Jason Martin, Tom Smith, and Pop Visuals. And then the Magic 1 through 4 Black Sun miniseries that follows it up much easier by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning on writing, although Andy, Andy Lanning finishes it out by himself. Pencils and inks and like sometimes credited as like digital delineations and shit. Like in 2000 when they were trying to figure out how to credit people with the incredible cutting edge work they were doing, they had no idea. So sometimes they just made up credits. But needless to say, whether you call it pencils and inks or digital rendering, Liam Sharp did some incredible challenging work here and one of the things for me about this particular thing that it's such a pleasure to talk about I am very famous to my friends uh, saying that the greatest run of Green Lantern in history is the Grant Morrison Liam Sharp run and so it was a real treat to get to see my favorite ever Green Lantern artist in an early thing that actually shaped my fandom as a kid ooh chills all over so excited additionally colors by Kevin Summers and letters by Paul Tutrone and Sharp font. All right, go at it. Black Sun, do the thing. Boot. It's a boot. It's a boot for me. It's definitely. The art was not great for me. The like the story from the get go was so confusing. Like shifting the shifting scenes. The like the the, like sudden dimensional moves. Like uh, suddenly, like some people were X Men and some people were demons. I just it was. Don't forget, Lorna is Cyclops. Don't worry, Cyclops is dead. Lorna was an original X Man. It's okay. (laughs) I just so. I, and, and admittedly, it's been a while. I haven't really given it the proper adult revisit it probably deserves, but I read it a few times coming up and I just, every time I'm just like, what? This story is very difficult to really get through. It's very difficult to follow. I know, I get that it's a limbo story and Kitty's wearing that really, I, I do love Revolutionary Kitty with her Wolverine, like discard claws and her bad attitude. That's one of my favorite moments for, for Kate Pride. Revolutionary Kitty is my new favorite, like kittenish, sexy, uh, cheesecake, <laughs> revolutionary war character. I live for her. I kindly edit it out of my personal limbo history because I just i i don't i don't have the headspace for it, <laughs> which I, so it's very productive. It didn't it didn't resonate for me as a as a whole story. Some elements of it did, mostly Kate in that awesome costume, but it just it was really disjointed. I found. Yeah, I was incredibly confused by the way that the story progressed I had trouble keeping track of where characters were. At one point, I somehow missed that Kitty had lost her soul. That did happen, right? Yeah. Okay, okay. (laughs) So when Magic was like, oh, they've already gotten all five Bloodstones, but I had only counted four. I'm like, who was the fifth? 
there's only four people in in her sword how where what <laughs> all the jumping back and forth was just so incredibly confusing for me and i wanted to like it i just it was a struggle i'm coming at this from a point of nostalgia it's got so many elements of things that i love that when it came out i, I loved the fuck out of this book coming back and rereading it for this episode i i can see a lot of the flaws it is claremont at his claremontias sometimes <laughs> there are, there's some really great bits of it and then there's some bits that somebody should have kind of reined him in and said okay cool everybody's not gonna follow i remember reading it at the time like as i was reading it like when they kept saying oh it's not really liana i was like okay cool it's amanda sefton because she was in limbo and she's the last scene is the in charge of limbo so it's got to be amanda sefton but like that idea that it was amanda was was not a shock at the time it was like if you followed excalibur and remember that x-men unlimited issue you knew what was going on like you knew that that had to be amanda sefton so like that wasn't a surprise but yeah somebody was like hey make a anniversary issue for a giant size x-men and chris claremont was like oh cool make it about kitty pride right and, then, and everybody's like wait kitty pride wasn't in giant size x-men and they're like no no make it about kitty pride <laughs> and they're like fine whatever just do it get it printed get it out whatever you want claremont i'll give you claire most <laughs> and i i mean that that really is what it feels like like this clearly is one of the ideas that he'd had brewing for a very long time that just like he didn't get to before his like heyday run ended then there's this big gap and i think you know they've really found ways recently to work with claremont's very specific style and the fact that it just can't slot right into present day storytelling revolution era is when they were just kind of like i don't know how we do this but we're giving him a job and there just wasn't <laughs> i mean that's, that's what it is like there just wasn't a lot of editorial thought about the fact that his style just wasn't working with the current house style at marvel and i think this is just a really stark example of that there are some really cool ideas here there's a lot of stuff that i could see working with the help of a more in touch with the era writer but we all know that that's not how claremont works like you can't he can't be babysat or anything like that you know one thing i will say is that the updated look for belasco was super cool he really looks like scary and badass and like he's a little bit in magic and storm like by the end you're like oh that's just a dude in like a cape which is cool i kind of liked that but then it's like if he comes back he's not scary because you're like that's just a dude this twink has rosacea and he's yelling at me <laughs> precisely he got some spirit gum and some horns and you know yeah it just i was not threatened by the end of that book but like here i was also not threatened because it's so goofy but you can see a look for him that you're like okay okay and then i think that pays off in new x-men but yeah i mean unfortunately it's just kind of a miss i will always love claremont and appreciate the great stuff that he gave us but this is a time at which there just wasn't any ability to make that writing and his ideas flow well with what was going on in, in x-men like okay one weird question that pops out of all of this is like do the x-men not know what a german accent sounds like do they get it confused with a russian accent every so often or was amanda sefton trying to use a russian accent i think both i think they don't know and she was giving them a bad one and they were like that sounds right that's russian yeah. yeah well i think it's sort of the way when you live anywhere for three months and now i sound like this i have madonna's vocal coach oh and she <laughs> she was a stewardess too so and you know 
the way that everybody kind of gets that limbo drawl. You know, everybody's always talking about that East European limbo drawl. I mean, maybe it's part of the maybe it's part of the spell. She uh, she makes them hear what they think they should hear from magic. Ooh, cute. Love oh, it. I like no that. prize. No prize plus a prize. I can't even say it. No prize plus a prize. So, I just love hmm. at the end. Kurt's like, of course, that's my sister. It's my girlfriend. I love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> we won't say her name, though. Um, first of all, now we need to do an all MC version of Cabaret, number one. <laughs> Number two, uh, guest show ever. Number two, um, I do have a question though. Like, actually, did Claremont forget that the Ingari aren't from Limbo? They're from the Demon Karn. Uh, of the things, I liked the the syncretist approach of bringing together Limbo and the Nagari. I think that that was that worked for me because Belasco's always been interested in the Elder Gods. They seem to have that Elder God connection as well. So there was some, at, at the very least, there was some sense to be made of that connection i felt out of all the mildly offensive continuity things out of this that was the least of my work (laughs) 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 i mean yeah (laughs) it was confusing i wasn't expecting to suddenly find them connected to limbo i kind of just made do they're demons so i was just like yeah i wasn't even really paying attention to like what the like are they from limbo what just seemed like they were like we just want to we want to rule it we want to go it was just so inscrutable right from the beginning that i was like i don't if there's a real mechanic happening here or like again background lore that claremont feels is important he hasn't sold me on any of it so i don't really care about the details a lot of demons are in limbo. These are demons. If they're not from there, they probably want to just go there because it's a demon place. Okay, whatever. I'm, I'll stick with it. Yeah, they just didn't have that, that limbo draw. They had that Karn twang. <laughs> so it sounded like just wrong place, wrong time. I also don't understand the Rutai at all. Like, I truly, uh. the idea that any of us care about any of these villains, let alone, like, intricate details of a plan <laughs> and, like, in fighting between them i'm i'm you're insane if you think that (laughs) any of us are gonna be like yeah this is the one (laughs) like at the end where gene's like oh pilgrim's out there he's gonna be out there forever never shows up again (laughs) yeah never again what the fuck was the naming scheme (laughs) just give me numbers because like it's bad enough when marvel is like let's count issues of daredevil daredevil point one daredevil one daredevil 1.5 daredevil two daredevil (laughs) that's bad enough okay but here they're like let's name them characters because everybody knows numerically this is the (laughs) order the characters go (laughs) i I don't i don't even know however it gave us what was really like a high quality vertigo miniseries oh man in magic a little hard to read at times a little a little choppy maybe but you know liam sharp really a fucking master of his craft and you know Abnett and Lanning who are you know just such famous writers each in their own way and 
I thought this was a lot of fun. I was surprised by some of the deep pulls, like, you know, Dormammu, Mephisto. What's going on? Everybody in charge of hell. Well, and, you know, the reference to the Splinter Realms, like, there is a broader... This is... It's like the Prometheum. There is a broader picture happening here that is, like, anybody's to pick up and point out the connections between all these things. And, of course, immediately when you read this, you think Vertigo series, and I think that is a complete and total compliment. I think it's unfortunate that Marvel hasn't found a lot of ways to capitalize on the properties that they have that would allow them to do a Vertigo-esque, Sandman-esque series. This is like really some of the closest that they get. And, you know, four issues is a miracle that they got through all of it. But really cool ideas here. Yeah, very challenging to read. And I think at times not in a way that's like, we want to challenge you, reader, but more like, this is a mess. Like you had a sort through it yourself but it's so many of the ideas here really got me excited and the picking up on the nightmare aspect of it in mighty thor and jane foster with dream queen really just again made me think like there is still potential here not just in the mephisto stuff not just in the limbo stuff but in even broader connected narratives among all these elements what's happening with amanda sefton right now she is in between realms or something or Maybe uh, she's taking a well-deserved vacation in Tulum. <laughs> Her Instagram is on fucking fire right now. <laughs> Has she been referenced very much in anything current? Literally, like that last we saw her, she was the same thing happened to her that happened to Megan, where she's like, now she's in between, like she's in some space in between realms, or maybe dead, or like who knows? Like it's very unclear. But like how what happened to Megan when she disappeared for the longest time? It's like almost exactly like that huh. so maybe she'll come back being all gloriana you know mm, right she'll come back all super day tripper which is the first time somebody was like yeah when somebody explained to me that name night crawler day, day tripper, tripper yeah yeah afternoon somersault is my personal <laughs> <term name. laughs> this series is absolutely the the best utilization of this character that we've ever gotten i think i think that she's generally an underutilized character i think all the ma- all the all the mutant magic stuff up until like right now in the current era has been severely underutilized so this is just the best this is a lot of fun this series and getting to see day tripper in her magic era is it's, it's great yeah this to me was very similar in in why i'm always drawn to amanda sefton is a character as a mainly marvel reader i i hadn't read any real vertigo-esque series up until then like when this came out 2000 2001 yeah so like i was you know 18 then ish so like i i hadn't really dived into the realm of more adult comics i love the character from Excalibur so I read this and I was blown away at what comics could actually do for me not having grown up on Vertigo so like it, it's so amazing to see um, I thought I, I absolutely agree this is probably the best Amanda Sefton there is and it's such a shame you can't even get this series on Marvel Unlimited like the art is amazing like the story is amazing it really sets Limbo up as a power player in these realms and it's probably the first time we've actually gotten a look at somebody trying to down and run Limbo. Like, Ileana was always in charge of Limbo, but she really ran from that responsibility because it was thrust on her and, and it was traumatic for her and who wants it? Amanda accepted it. Jermaine accepted it and she really just wanted to tr- do her best to keep 
the things going the way they should. Nathan, I love your like knowledge and passion for these characters because they are super important, but they are kind of overlooked. And it's so good to have like this additional perspective on it. Thank you. So cool. It's so cool. She's such a cool character. I joke about it all the time. The whole, yeah, oh, Nightcrawler and his sister. But like, she's she's a really cool character, I think. Gotta separate her from Nightcrawler a little bit to get past the ickiness of a lot of it. But once you can do that, like, if somebody really took her and ran with her, they do a lot of stuff. And there's clearly precedence for that, too. Yeah. I really enjoyed this uh, series. I was surprised by the reveal that Amanda Sefton was magic at the end of the, the last set of books. So getting to see the immediate follow-up of that was really fascinating. To me, this was the first time that Limbo felt like a living place. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Having, having the connections to all of the other realms on the borders of Limbo, that that really helped to flesh the place out. The art was really cool. I liked seeing the experimentation that they were doing. That early computer-generated panels, it almost looked like, right? Yeah, like yeah. it was like digital photography yeah. woven into yeah. it. It was very cool. It was really cool. He just gets better at it. Mm-hmm. The run he did on Green Lantern, I mean, really. It's like, I'm literally looking at all of the rings on one display. I have my Sinestro and Hal Jordan figure over there. My John Stewart figure is right over there. My Kyle figure is over there. My Green Lantern hat is over there. Liam Sharp is my favorite Green Lantern artist. So like, I love everybody being gay for this book, right? Like, it makes me so happy. I will say the fact that it was all kind of Amanda Sefton's fault <laughs> that oh, yeah. we are in this mess was a little bit of a bummer, but also like, whatever, because it's kind of, it's this is so much more about the story than how it ends. But I found it very amusing that these people who are like if you piss them off they will destroy your entire life throughout time and space we're all like you screwed up this time kid but we'll get you next time like everybody just kind of left after they realized that her fucking machinations were the reason that all of their realms had been completely wiped out (laughs) very uh you know sometimes i appreciate that choice to not like dwell on stuff and to be like okay we told the story we told we're gonna move on now it kind of i don't know in a cute way like because i'm always like "Mm mm-mm that nerfed this character yeah. or that, you know, that reduced this character. I don't know. I think I mean this really lovingly. It kind of made them all seem like, I think if you hear me out, it kind of made them all seem like Uncle Gritty and they're just kind of like, and just kind of like patting her on the back yeah. and being very encouraging. Like who um, hasn't almost ended all of our realms? Exactly. Like, We've been there. We've been there. Don't worry about it. You're still it's learning. recognizing her. And exactly. Because, and because they never do that and like you can't imagine any other writer like writing Mephisto that way or writing Dormammu that way being like you know we all make mistakes because it happens just this one time in this kind of like off to the side book that we don't reference a lot it just kind of works and is funny yeah I'm looking at this last the last goodbye scene where like Dormammu's like it's been uh an education (laughs) and then like and like yeah and like Mephisto's like have a care where your ambitions take you next time (laughs) like that's like all we get of it (laughs) I just need to stress one more time that the official stance of this show because this is all we talk about now is Mephisto mm-hmm. <laughs> me Nathan and TK this is all we've talked about for five months now and uh, if you do not listen in your head to Mephisto as him from the Powerpuff Girls who is equal parts Mephisto and Angel from Rent because it's the Santa G 
jacket and the so it's there um i yeah i also just want to say i learned that part of me was very okay with being a furry to the cover of x-men magic number three <gasps> that buff fucking kurt changed everything for me okay these covers are amazing but kurt is so fucking hornily drawn in the series i fucking love it well the fact that right before the final battle they're like let's definitely fuck one last time just in case really loved that correct instinct all around Now, speaking of correct instincts, I just want to say that we could not have had this episode if it weren't for the next title we're going to discuss. I am really famous for my love of this book, and I just want to thank everybody for always supporting it and loving it just as much as me, even if everybody didn't read it when it came out. There's no one on this show who would ever say a bad word about the new X-Men Academy X kids, and they like they were my kids when I started reading like actively and going every single week and putting in the money every single week. They were the kids that just started, and I, I love these kids so much. This maybe isn't my favorite era, but... I still love these kids. This is my favorite arc, though. So even if it's not my favorite era, it is my favorite arc. And this is, of course, New X-Men 37 to 41, the proper arc being 38 to 41, written by Craig Kyle and Chris Yost, with some of the best art I've ever seen in my entire life by Scotty Young, Nico Henriken. We have Sean Parsons, Jay Leaston, and then colors with additional art by Jean-Francois Bellou and letters by Dave Sharp. This whole arc is such a brilliant way to conduct dense what had become way too hard to understand. 37 spends a lot of time dealing with its own things, but then it tells the Ileana story, all the parts you need to know. And then it adds in also Belasco's like mad doped up on like, like it's that scene where the, the bikers are like kind of like standing there with the giant baseball bat. Like that's the energy Belasco's trying to give off here. I'm threatening now you guys. <laughs> yeah. Cause Belasco's foppish, right? Like everybody gets Belasco. Alaska was super gay. It's like, I know he's supposed to be, you know, threatening to women, but he's like, like scar levels of gay. I want right? him to be that because then he's not molesting Ilyana. Yeah, no, I think he's scar levels of gay. Really, really queer. Queer mode, top yeah. to bottom. He's like, Shayna, I'm going after you because your hair is too fabulous. You can have a better hair than me. <laughs> I just, I, I love that this arc is a continued pile on for these poor children who have just already been so brutally traumatized at witnessing a whole school bus of their friends murdered and a lot of their other friends depowered and and the nimrod and the nimrod oh that's where we are in this series okay it's not a great time for these kids and then they go to hell this is i mean like it's exciting it's it's exciting seeing these new these new characters interface with this old story because it gives you it gives you new material to work with it gives you new complications i love what i hate love what happened to pixie i hate love it it's a great story it's a great story for these kids it's a great x-men story um and then victor gets that awesome jack off arm oh god that yeah that's right that's where his that's where he his gets his bulk arm, arm. <laughs> his popeye his awesome jack off arm <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's like i'm hey, on, on twitter left or right 
And and what a metaphor for going to Limbo. I love this arc. It's one of my favorite Limbo arcs as well. And it's one of my favorite new new X-Men Academy X. Here we are at the X Academy arcs as well. Yeah. And the art is it's just bananas fun. I have such a weird relationship with this arc. I hated this arc when it first came out. Like I was like, ooh, this is so gross. Every it, like every time I've reread it, it's gotten better to me. It was this and X and Furnace combined that like just kind of was like what like it's just i was like okay cool so iliana's not gonna come back with any of the stuff we liked about her like she was always snarky and evil but she had this really soft side and not seeing that out of iliana really made me question the you know how smart it was to bring her back yes we've gotten a lot of that back from the character and the arc once you read it now from the resurrection to where she is now it's a really good full complete arc i just it was so jarring and i hated it so much when it came out but now i can see it for its beauty i know a lot of people had that reaction to it and i absolutely get why because it was tough to lose a character like Ilyana, and knowing that x-men often come back from the dead relatively quickly and more or less unscathed it was difficult to see her gone for so long and then when you finally do get her back into this kind of super rough version of her but for me not having the same investment in the character it really just upped the ante of like the kids are in hell one of the most important like new mutants like another generation of kid x-men is here but she is like absolutely fucking dark-sided and is no help to them at all it just the stakes here are ramped up so well and when you combine that with the fact that the art is anime-esque cartoon-esque but still does justice to every single character it just it made for such a dynamic dark story that i found so convincing and it really set the tone for me for so many things going forward but i also think it, it is a really important waystone and marker on our understanding of limbo in current continuity and in modern times oh definitely it is totally the basis for every current limbo story this this arc right here this visualization um in the way it's evolved from the magic stuff with amanda septon to now it definitely this is the like pivotal turning point this was actually my favorite in the uh the reading list that we had i found the story really engaging the art to me was beautiful. I mean, in this one, Limbo just kind of felt like a place again, so it just like a, a set piece. It didn't really have that living feel to it anymore, but seeing all of these big moments for these characters was really cool, because I've I've seen references to them, but I had never gotten around to reading this particular series before, so it's, it's actually made me want to go back and read the whole thing now. I think it's a can't-miss the entire run from New Mutants, Volume 2, Number 1. Actually, the Unlimited story that kicks it all off in Unlimited 42, I think it is, is really a can't-miss start. And I'm just a really big fan, and I think this is such a great era for it. But a couple of major things came from this that really, like you said, changed the way we look at Limbo forever. Sometimes soul stuff is a metal. Sometimes soul stuff is the purity in your spirit. Now it's just straight up like, you want a soul weapon? Let's pull out some souls. <laughs> 
like it just really becomes okay Prometheum is a magical artifact that can be mined from this location but there's also like kind of like a magical fluidity that I think this moment also elevated Limbo. Limbo had always been kind of a very malleable very puzz 3D it's going up kind of vibe and then they said no it's it's a thing it's a place and it's shaped by its ruler which is true and cool but now what we have is it actually is a landscape it is so much more it's sort of the way Age of Apocalypse went from a rewrite to its own thing Limbo went from just sort of like this abstract ephemeral idea of a place to a mineable place with rules and between the Soul Dagger Pixie Ileana the changeover the dramatic shift in art which I actually think if we say that Neil Gaiman created the Rockstar run Scotty Young coming in and completely redesigning every character in the book for his guest arc <laughs> is as he says he had no idea that he what he was doing was literally inappropriate he actually <laughs> said that in our interview he just wanted to do it and I think he changed comics forever with it yeah I really couldn't agree more and I think it was important to see the characters as like kids you know I mean I know we'd seen them as kids before but I think we kind of ran the gamut of like these are kids that might as well be adults to like this one is like a legitimate 13 year old child and to see them all in this form that was like it doesn't matter if they are 13 or 18 they're all kids in this moment and Mm -hmm. what they're experiencing is really fucking scary and we're seeing them be overwhelmed and look like they're not supposed to be here on top of the fact that it's stylistically like nobody needed to stick to making them all look on the youngish side but they were able to pull elements of what was done here into all of the arcs for these characters going forward and that's pretty special to set that tone at all let alone as just kind of a guest run Now, as we made our way through this point, putting Ileana back in the driver's seat of the Limbo Mobile was a major shift in how Limbo had been handled for quite a while in the X-Men and at Marvel, because now suddenly, the idea that the stepping discs, Limbo, magic itself, sorcery, is back in play at Marvel has had a major effect on the X-Men and X-Canon and places that we see the X-Men show up. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting was the reaction from Chris Claremont, who was very excited to see Ileana back on the table and I think in many ways War Children by Chris Claremont comic god Bill Sienkiewicz Chris Sotomayor and Clayton Cowles is actually kind of a response to things like New X-Men 37 to 41 and X-Infernus and X-Men the Hellbound where he was like okay but I did this thing first you see and it's so fascinating because I think it wasn't until War Children that I said holy shit for as powerful as Limbo is the technarchy you know the the techno-organic mesh that makes up Warlock I think is so much more powerful than Limbo but is it? Because they seem to hold each other in check to that extent Claremont had been trying for years to get us to understand that Limbo really was like a Phoenix level of power the way Warlock is frankly like a Phoenix level of power and I think it wasn't until War Children that I really saw that Claremont kind of maybe felt like he'd been doing this all along and didn't realize why everyone showed up so late to the party 
Street. I think you might be right about that, but it's funny because for me, it really kicked in during Inferno. And the idea of demons being infected with the transmode virus, just that these two worlds would collide and mm-hmm. create something that, you know, greater than some of its parts, whatever. But as a reader, just being like, oh man, because we have advanced alien technology in this world and like versions of hell, yeah, advanced alien technology could go to a version of hell. And then what the fuck happens? I've been thinking about that since my first read of Inferno. I think this really did a great job of in one single story with some gorgeous art, just again doing that. Like, don't forget, these two things are insane when they come together. Well, and I think too that it really, the both Inferno and this kind of reflect some of the anxieties of, of overwhelming technology and how it reflects, you know, how it can reflect our most demonic impulses. And so the merging of those two forms is is novel and like kind of unexpected, but still makes a ton of sense. For, as for the whole the whole book, I think this is probably one of Claremont's best pieces of the last 10 years. I think this is so well written. I think the characters are so well formed and realized. I think the dialogue is so solid. Did anyone else just really enjoy this read? I love it. It's, oh, I, I love really it. do. A million oh, yeah. percent. It's one of my all-time favorites. I had never read it before. I was. I didn't even know it was there. I just, oh my goodness. And like, I, I was just like, this is a pleasure. This feels like, it feels like something right out of the 80s. It's so good. Wow. It's in the New Mutants Volume 2 Omnibus. They put it in the original the original run like it belongs yeah. there. Oh, nice. That's got to be we... next on our list, Jacob. Oh, Are uh, we talking uh, about uh, War Children? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're talking about War Children. Oh, for sure. Uh... <laughs> So Kyle yesterday told me he was not as big a fan when we were talking about it. And I was like, I'm going to let it happen on air. I absolutely hated it. I I felt like the characters were not characters or they were not living people. They were characters. They were narrating themselves. It just felt so out of place for when this book was released. It jumped around like crazy. I did not understand why Hela decided to just show up and pull Danny into her Valkyrie form. That was really random. It didn't work at all for me. I, I I love the art. It's just that the story did not click at all. I think it clicks a little bit more when you like think of it in conjunction with the Chris Claremont anniversary special, where he also had Danny Moonstar on this grand journey from. Hela basically where like she finds out that Valkyrie are supposed to be the immortal enemies of Shadow Kings but like I, I think they, they're fun stories they, they're they great they don't really do much for the characters in a lot of ways like New Mutants War Children is, is pretty solid I think and the art is mm, phenomenal like the Sienkiewicz work mm, so good I put it up there with that New Mutants Unlimited 41 that got collected in the Omnibus and the IDW artist edition as well where that unlimited is perfection and it matches this perfectly i'll admit the claremont anniversary special was a big miss for me like top to bottom that thing was not what i wanted but this is just such like a a pinnacle piece that says sometimes like and it's so silly but like sometimes you really can go home you know uh, george perez returned to teen titans a number of times with marv wolfman and each one broke my heart more than the last because it just never felt like the magic was back but this was just for me this was magic really it felt like i was reading slumber party again i will say like to validate kyle's point a little bit i think one thing that he does here is just assume that he's chris claremont and they're like you just get it 
And so he doesn't write the characters in the way that he would have done in the 80s to kind of be like, let me establish some stuff for you and let me give you some flourishes. He is much more economic because he has a limited run to tell a pretty big story. And I think as part of that, he's just like, you know what I'm doing. I'm Claremont. And I can see how that can lead to some real moments that are misses. The other thing that I thought that was so interesting was that when Claremont wanted to tell a story from his classic era, he felt it necessary to go to limbo. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that we then need to accept is that it's not so much even that Limbo has been flourished and expanded over time as much as it is that the characters who reside with and are part of Limbo's roles have become expanded over the last number of years. And I think it's had a sort of like a transcendent effect on the characters and the place itself such that once we find ourselves in New Mutants 28 and Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor 1 through 5, Limbo's a get like i feel like sometimes limbo used to show up in stories and people would be like oh limbo's here but in these two sort of modern masterpieces by torin grunbeck michael dowling jesus albertov eric arseniega and joe sabino for jane foster and the mighty thor one through five it's really cool to see like a, a pretty consistent creative team and then new mutants 25 through 28 by vita ayala rod race jen dersema ruth redmond and travis lanham from both from 2022 i really felt like limbo had fucking heft <laughs> Like, meaty. And it was meaty because it was limbo. This wasn't where, like, oh, we're raising the stakes on limbo. This was, we need limbo because Prometheum and Sim is a big deal. And then it was, literally, limbo itself is the key magic here. And limbo can't exist without synergistically being balanced with Ileana. So if you're going to give somebody else limbo now, you have to transition Ileana out. I would love to get anybody's opinions on sort of the current of limbo, dreams, uh, other cells that ran through these two books and see if you guys feel like Limbo really has stepped into its own in the last few years. So I love the Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor series. It's just so hard. Sim is one of those guys who's really hard because there's so many, he pops up in so many places and there's so many different versions of him. Like I think Tony Grumbeck went with a very classic Sim, whereas in Strange Academy, we've seen a little bit more of an evolved Sim. It doesn't mesh as well with the variations, of other current variations out there but i think it's a beautiful story anytime you can have sim and the dream queen in the same miniseries i'm just like you are like scratching all of my dz list x-men alpha flight villains like love and like like the dream queen it would although it would have been really cool the dream queen to go up against witchfire <laughs> but that's like a weird d-list alpha flight love of mine i just love that you're saying that there's d-list alpha flight you know like when you start with alpha flight you're already saying like youtube yeah. red original <laughs> right 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 that's why i'm like alpha flight D-list like list is like most people's like w list but like and also like vita did such a beautiful story t- switching over limbo to madeline i can't wait to see what happens i'm really scared to see that it doesn't change its trajectory from where we saw it go at the end of their story that they did but two beautiful beautiful arcs and miniseries yeah nico i love what you said about like we don't need to raise the stakes in limbo we need limbo to raise the stakes in our story i i think that's such an important trend 
transition that we recognize in comics where we see a thing and we're like, oh, I didn't realize because I've been reading this for 30 years all the way through. But like somewhere in there, this thing snuck up on me and is now super important. Limbo is a really fantastic example of that right now. And like I said, when, when you look at all of the elements that we are pulling together when we look at the stories that we're talking about, like Prometheum could be a really important thing. It could have a lot of value to shaping the Marvel Universe as a whole. You can pick any person, like, you know, make billy clubs out of it for Daredevil, use it for something that the Fantastic Four are doing. You know, it's part of mutant magic. There are so many ways in which Prometheum could be important, and that's really, really cool. At the same time, like, the idea that the ruler of Limbo is one of the most important X-Men who is dealing with so much trauma while the X-Men are in paradise and finally coming to a new place of joy in their lives and she realizes like i have to fucking be part of this joy too so i have to finally deal with my trauma meanwhile we've got matt like it's just so much cool stuff happening and i really can see you know like when we talk about all of the avenger stuff that we're talking about and all the machinations of mephisto i look back at the magic mini and what went on in that and i think like there is still so much room to connect things dream queen yet another element i tie it back to the moment in Duggan's X-Men number four where Nightmare shows up just to fuck with Jean a little bit. Like the connection, the possible connections are all over the place and they're really cool. Strange Academies in the mix too. It's just like this could go anywhere and it would be a really important foundational story to the future of the Marvel Universe if you wanted it to be. So my concern with potentially allowing Prometheum to be used more throughout the Marvel universe is that they have they have cemented the rule that Prometheum is necessary to the existence of Limbo. It needs to be in Limbo in order for Limbo to be stable. By even even by having that little tiny arrowhead out of Limbo, it caused destabilization and it was drawn back to Limbo at the end of Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor. If they could find a way to make it so that it doesn't have that intense connection to the survivability of Limbo, then yeah, that would be super cool. But as of right now, there doesn't seem to be a rule that would allow that. The other story about uh, Magic and Madeline, that one, that one was really cool. I really enjoyed it. I'm really glad they have found found a way to allow magic to grow out away from limbo big part of her trauma so being able to grow out of it that's that's a huge 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 character growth and i've i said that during our our new mutants coverage i'm hesitant but i'm looking forward to seeing how madeline handles the the power i know that we've got dark web coming which kind of makes me worried but i'm sure that things are there's going to be a twist in there that is going to explain it and hopefully allow her to be in a redeemable position i like your positivity (laughs) i'm afraid she's gonna go all sorts of crazy killer lady because i think zeb wells is like she could be a crazy killer lady i i i think he his hellions made me think she might be uh she's gonna wind up on one of those youtube videos i'm always trying to make tk watch 
Well, you know, I suspect it's going to be complicated. Zeb Wells likes, likes his complicated characters. He likes bringing a lot of pathos to them. And Madeline already has a lot of pathos. You know, we, we see just how scorned she's been, just how ignored she's been, just how little agency she's had. And my hope is that, you know, this is, this is kind of a time for her to live and laugh and love and uh, cast spells and, you know, make some mischief, but like ultimately get hers in a way that is cathartic and hopefully constructive. I thought that it was interesting how between Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor and Vita's magic arc, um, we seem to get the two sides of Limbo. Limbo is the kind of like landscape that is constantly being fought over by different agents of magic or like splinter realms or hell realms or whatever. And then in the New Mutant series, it was very much Limbo as this sort of psychogeographic landscape where a character can explore their own history, can explore their own potentiality because of the way time loops in and out, which is what magic was doing. She was, you know, she was, she was revisiting her past there. She was exploring her potential future there. And she was making decisions about how she wanted to relate to that world and how, you know, and let it be a reflection of who she was ultimately stepping away from it and saying, I'm, I'm ready to put this, this world, this experience, this traumatic story. I'm ready to close the book on it and start something new. I thought the unbinding of magic's teleportation circles to limbo was really beautiful and something I've been I've been thinking about for a very very long time and and it leaves a lot of questions too you know what what's the go-to realm now if there is any you know what becomes of Madeline Pryor's connection to Limbo you know what does that manifest as if if Ileana's were if Ileana's power was connected through teleportation discs what is Madeline's going to look like what is her connection going to express as is it just going to be you know bringing inert objects to life in a demonic form because that's okay that's cool that could be very useful in a lot of contexts I, I got more of what I wanted of the Limbo landscape from Vita's New Mutants story. Though I will say the Jade Foster and Mighty Thor mini was so good. And I I went in, I had no idea what to expect with it, but I just, I thought the art and the writing was so tight. I I love the reconnection to Prometheum because I don't, I don't think I had heard of it outside of uh, the Excalibur arc we read for this. It just, it was really tightly done. It was really doing a solid job making good Limbo references and showing like this one big character of Limbo as like the, the, the realm we fight for or over. So I'm, I'm excited to see what the trajectory for Limbo is as well. How does it become important to the mutant nation? That's always kind of my, my question back to it. Do we have a, a second magic realm in addition to other worlds? That's definitely one of the things I've been thinking about is can we find that literal physical connection between other world and Limbo and all the realms that Limbo connects to? Or, you know, can we do something with the fact that they're not connected for whatever reason? I'm also really curious to see if the intense focus on clone identity in Dark Web. We're seeing, you know, Maddie, we're seeing Ben Riley, we're seeing this fucking insane Craven clone that I didn't realize was a thing until I had to discover it. How clones being so integral to this particular story, this chapter in Limbo, might affect what Limbo is in the same way that like the transmode virus interfacing with Limbo really changes the game. I'll be fascinated to see if there is anything to that or if it's more just limbo as the stage for these people being able to explore their identities a little further i do just want to say while we're on the topic i am gay bones for thor by torin grunbeck and to see that torin is going to write an arc of thor featuring runa over in the pages of thor proper is amazing or by now has the thor mini maybe didn't play out with the dexterity and excitement i'd hoped for monthly Mm -hmm. but sit it sit down with 
it all at once in one sitting. It was a wonderful read. Uh, the expansive, clever use of Undrawn is very in line with my idea of Jane, my definition of Jane. Sim being like, give me Mjolnir and I'll do you a small favor was really funny because I think she should have given him Mjolnir. I think she should have dropped it right on his face and seen if he was worthy enough to lift it. I don't think so. So that would have been a fun way to smush Sim to death. Um, you know, I do think that the Dream Queen saga is like a beloved Alpha Flight story. Yeah. Like among flighters, that's like top number one up there outside of the burn run. Uh, so seeing it here, you know, a lot of fun. Seeing Prometheum here was a lot of fun. I thought that it felt maybe perhaps like the Jane Foster mini was responsible for doing a lot of things all at once, which it did all of them with great deftness and great, you know, dexterity, but none so much as made me believe that the way somebody might be like, oh, I've got to go to Krakoa because I need Krakoa thing, or I got to go to the Dark Hole. Limbo really has come into its own. I feel like it's taken time and there's been a lot of weird divergent paths, but if you sort of chop out the canon that no one really fucking pays attention to, and it's kind of like the Phoenix, and you just focus on the parts that make sense, kind of like the transmode virus, and you pretend only certain characters still exist, kind of like the cable gene thing, you can get somewhere where you can be happy enough with the continuity that you can engage with it meaningfully, like Wolverine. And at the end of the day, my limbo is a sprawling universe with a lot of ways that it can be manipulated, sort of absolute control by the Sorcerer Supreme of Limbo. I think the soul weapons have been downgraded repeatedly, such that I no longer think that a soul weapon is like the thing. But more than ever, I'm engaging with this world meaningfully. Do you guys, all said and done, have a take on Limbo or a new take on Limbo? Do you guys think you might find yourself staying there? Or do you think it's going to wind up on Gordon Ramsay's Hotel Hell? Well, I mean, like, if you are going to have a, you know, all-you-can-eat demon buffet, hell yeah, I will go there, even if it does show up on Hotel Hell. But, like, um, my version of Limbo is is a place where you can go have a story have some fun and get some fucking magic in the process like magic of whatever kind you know magic of the Ileana or the Amanda you know variety it's a place where you can always count on some fun demons to you know go through and say like ha 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 like I'm on your side but no I'm not Sam I'm looking at you I think where the new realm siege perilous is about sort of the encountering and integration of all of these uh, different possibilities, Limbo could become a realm of reflection and processing and encountering the past because of the way, again, because of the way time functions there. I think that there's some real, like, I, I think if it were, if it became connected to the greater Krakoan oeuvre, <laughs> there, there's some real possibility for helping some of these characters who are stuck in their trauma move through a Limbo story to work it out. You know, like the Crucible is a way for mutants who've been depowered to, you know, go through trial and regain their powers, maybe Limbo becomes its own kind of emotional crucible for characters who are going, who are, who are still dealing with some profound trauma. I think there's a lot of possibility in having a place that gives you the chance to, to, to meet your past self and to, and to protect them and to change the narrative. That's kind of, I would be so curious to see if that's something that a writer will pick up on, because I think that that's been 
some of the greatest use of that 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 psychogeographic territory of limbo i'm thinking about it a little more functionally you know i see limbo as like the demon version of the shiar empire it really can be a repository for a lot of different types of stories and there's just so much potential there in terms of who you can send why they would be going what resource they could get who they could meet all those sort of things so i mean i think it really storytelling wise it is such a resource and really the magic mini just made me so want marvel to get into some vertigo style storytelling and to use all this really cool horror work that they're doing right now horror dark fantasy magic limbo could really be a crux point from which to tell some fascinating personal stories that run a little long and have really dark fantasy elements to them that i just i think i would gobble up i mean we have so many new characters that we could work with now too i mean we we have desi mm-hmm. from strange academy i'd love to see her and sim in limbo together doing stuff <laughs> <laughs> there's just so many options that we can do especially now that madeline is in charge i'd love to see the way that all of the demons handle this change in control it's going to be really exciting when we come back a year from now for limbo part two we have a number of other amazing locations throughout the x universe the marvel universe that i cannot wait to discuss with you all and it's going to be really exciting we're going to do things like trace the origins of krakoa leading up to that incredible journey into mystery krakoa story that cannot possibly make any sense no matter how much i love it and it came out like months before House of X happened. It's it's incredible. We're going to take a look at things like the number of intersections with Loki, as well as an incredible number of the ways in which the X-Men have created geography throughout the Marvel Universe and then just abandoned it. (laughs) That's going to be fun. The number of X-Men bases that people have taken over, it's actually a crossover event. So I want to thank you guys so much for coming out and being a part of this exciting engaging discussion about the history of limbo and where we hope it goes and i can't wait to do more exciting content for you guys here on x's for podcast don't forget you can check us out at x's for podcast.com and x's for podcast on twitter 